0: The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. So, nice to be with everybody tonight. I really appreciate people's commitment, part of, even though the Buddhist Studies class has grown over the years, of course, we started, I think, in nineteen. either 1998 or 1999, these uh, Buddhist studies classes. And, uh, you know, it's the idea is that we feel a sense of commitment to doing the study as best we can. You know, some of you have more time and are doing some reading to support your practice, and some of you have less time. But that we're all sort of committed. And I, I keep mentioning, you know, part of that commitment unless you have a really good reason, stay for the small groups tonight. You know, we every other week we do small groups. Michelle is here tonight to help with the small groups. So I'll end at, you know, somewhere around 8.40, um, Minnesota time. And that will leave 20 minutes for groups of three to just talk about what your experience is. And part of the reason for the small groups is that we're more likely during the week to reflect on some of these teachings, knowing that we're going to be in a small group, I know it can make us a little anxious, but you know how that is, it really sort of works when we're in community, when we're responsible to each other, for each other, then we tend to be willing to say something, even if what we have to say is like, I don't know what the heck I'm doing, that's okay, right? we can be very real, we don't have to pretend, you know, or you know, act like an expert. We just, we've got a mind, we have a body, we're trying to have a more clear, wise, and kind sense of that experience of being a human being. And we learn so much from each other, whatever we have to say. So I want to review, you know, these last few weeks and, and now two more weeks to go. We're really uh, digging into three particular meditations and venable analio this wonderful german buddhist monk and i keep linking in the weekly in the email to you all uh three guided meditations that are available free for free from the barry center for buddhist studies website and i sent that email out again this afternoon so he has a guided meditation on the anatomical parts and a guided meditation on the elements and next week we'll be doing the corpse meditation but we'll do a modified version basically of reflecting on the truth of impermanence in the body so we're giving you know i'm giving you both some of the traditional meditations but also more contemporary interpretations of how you might do these meditations in a way that makes sense to you but ultimately Your job is to get the general idea of what the Buddha might be pointing to and find a way to keep these reflections alive in your mind. And remember, these three reflections, contemplations, meditations, you could call them any of those three words, it's really about transforming how we relate to the body. It's like, it's not enough to say, okay, everybody, let's just be mindful of the body. Let's be intimate with the way the body is. Because we have so much programming about the body. And so these three contemplations help to deprogram our mind. So when we did the anatomical parts, and this is the short version, we went through the longer version the last few weeks, the more traditional version where there are 32 parts. But tonight, in the way Venerable Analio does it, just The skin, flesh, and bones is enough to. It really is really on this conceptual level, like what we take the body to to be. And you know how it is. The example from the the discourse is. I don't know if I. I don't think I read this. I I might have mentioned the butcher, but here's the short discourse. And the document that I linked to in today's email has this quote. Furthermore, just as a skilled butcher, having killed a cow, would sit at a crossroads, cutting it into pieces, the practitioner contemplates this very body, however it stands, however it's disposed, in terms of the property. In this body, there is the earth property, the water property, the fire property, and the wind property. So where the anatomical parts really changes the story we have, like, oh, this body is this whole thing, but now I'm really, I don't know, it's skin, flesh and bones, or it's the liver and the toenails and the eyelashes and the head of the hair and the, you know, lungs. It really changes the idea we have. With the elements that we're introducing, that I'm introducing tonight, it really, brings in the impersonal quality and this this simile from the butcher it's like when you go some of you you know I'm sure eat meat and when you go and buy some hamburger or you know whatever the different cuts of beef are you don't think cow you think steak or ground beef or this or that because the uh, idea of the whole thing is just a construction it's just different cuts of meat so when we learn that the body always always has been is now will always be just a mix of these elements of temperature senses of cohesion and flow senses of stillness and pressure pushing senses of hardness and softness the earth elements when we really get that anytime I look with integrity at my sensory experience of body, the tactile experience, it's always this combination of these specific characteristics, what in early Buddhism were called the four elements. So don't get hung up about earth, the word earth, the word water, the word fire, the word air, wind, right? Because they're just four words that point to the array of specific sensations, or specific aspects of sensation, right? And the thing is, when we attune, when we've trained our attention, the mind, to attune to the level of, the elemental level of sensation, what comes on very strongly is, it's not personal. The sensory experience of my body is not personal. It's not really that different. Hardness to me is not different than hardness to you. Coolness and warmth to me is not specific to me, not something I own. So it's really, you know, when we contemplate the anatomical parts, we're changing, transforming, challenging really the mind's story about the body. When we contemplate the elements, we're really challenging the mind's idea that the The sensory experience of the body is me or owned by me or belongs to me because we see how impersonal the elements are. And then next week when we start working on the contemplation of impermanence of the body, we're really getting at this more universal level that really um, directly challenges attachment, that it isn't something to cling to. To hold on to because it's you know it's like with birth comes death to the body and this is true like whether you're talking about a particular sensation that arises and ceases or the life of the body that arises with birth and then ends with death but the truth of the body is it can't be relied on because it's in a process of change it's always been that way but we in the superficiality of how the mind often operates, we conveniently forget the truth of impermanence. So when we challenge the ideas, the concepts, with anatomical parts and challenge the conceit that it's me, this bodily experience, or belongs to me, or owned by me, with the contemplation of the elements, and we challenge the holding on, the clinging to the body with the contemplation of impermanence that we'll do next week. So, interestingly, you know, in order to be mindful of the body, we have to do this deprogramming. So I want to just make that clear because it would be a very appropriate question uh, to ask, like, why are we spending so much time in a way, thinking about the body. Like when we do the anatomical parts, some of you have wisely said, well, that's just a lot of thinking. You know, like just memorizing the 32 parts, even the three parts of skin, flesh, and bones, you know. And there's a lot of thought involved. I mean, I talked a lot during the guided meditation. (laughs) So there's a lot of thought, a lot of concept. But we're bringing in a new view bringing in this contemplation as a counterbalance or a challenge to the existing programming. To see the body as a whole is challenged by the anatomical parts meditation. To see the body sensations as personal gets really challenged when we do the elements meditation. To see the body as dependable gets challenged when we do the impermanent. impermanence of the body meditation that we'll do next week and we're, we're not going to do the traditional like the traditional meditation can feel a little off-putting where you imagine and you can find this online because there's you know millions of Buddhists in this world and so they take advantage of the internet just like other groups and you can find pictures of the body decomposing and just to bring that home. And a lot of, you know, will react to that. Well, why are we contemplating these morbid, disgusting aspects of the body? But actually, the only reason the decomposition of the body is interpreted as being morbid and disgusting is because we're attached to the body as being more than what it is, right? It's like we're very excited when someone has a new child, you know, and we love babies, and we're very disgusted with the aging, sickness, death, falling apart truth. But they're just two sides of the same coin, which is called body. You don't get one without the other, right? So, it isn't so much about, you know, Buddhism is morbid. It's Buddhism is neither optimistic nor pessimistic. It's realistic. We want to ground... We want our view and our understanding and the way we relate to body to be in alignment with the truth of the way it is. That's all. And it's not morbid. It's realistic. So, I think we talked about this last week that we, each of us, have to take responsibility to use the medicine of these teachings in skillful ways. If a lot of disgust. And uh, is coming up for us. <clears throat> well, we don't. We're not interested. No one is telling us to cultivate a disgust of the body. That's not what we want. If we have a lot of clinging and attachment, then we might. It might be really good medicine to do one of these three contemplations to balance that obsessive attachment, clinging to the body, because it's not helping. It's a setup for betrayal, right? A lot of us feel that way as we get older, like, why me? <laughs> There's a funny story. One of my early teachers, um, Michelle McDonald-Smith, <clears throat> when I was doing some of the three-month retreats at IMS back in the 90s, uh, I think one of her relatives, like a, an aunt, was really old and went to visit her. and She was in her 90s and <clears throat> I think she had gotten cancer of some uh, terrible thing that they couldn't, they weren't going to really able to do anything about. And when uh, Michelle went to visit her, her relative said to her, why me? And that's such a powerful example that somebody who's 93 years old would be surprised that the body's falling apart. That's just a little, I mean, not specific to that person. We all have this delusion that mostly we think illness, And death happens, and decomposition, you know, the falling apart of the body. I mean, mostly, we conveniently burn the body so that we don't see bodies decomposing, you know, or we bury it, or we preserve it with chemicals so that, even if we dug it up years later, it would probably still be pretty much formed, right? Because we don't like the idea of things falling apart. So, in a way that's palatable, in a way that the heart can handle... It's good to bring it in in really ordinary ways. So when you see, next time you see a bird hit your picture window and it's lying there in the garden, you know, dead, then just make a point of going out every few days and taking a look at it. You know, and pretty soon, you know, it will be gone because some animal maybe got it. But if no animal gets it, you'll just see it slowly fall apart. Or if a squirrel gets hit by a car and you notice it at the side of the road and you drive down that road every so often, they just keep looking over there. Oh yeah. You don't have to study. You don't have to do weird stuff, but you're just sort of letting the evidence of decomposition come in. Oh yeah, that's what happens. Things fall apart. Same thing with the elements. You know, when you're you're feeling like pleasure in your body, deconstruct it in terms of the elements. Is it because it's smooth, or is it light that makes it pleasant? Or if you're feeling what you would call pain, unpleasant sensation to your body, deconstruct it in terms of the elements. Okay, what's the earthy part of this pain? What's the temperature? Is it hot, burning hot, or icy cold? Is there a lot of pressure, a lot of heldness, uh, structure, the air element? You know. Is there a lot of flow or cohesion? What is it? Because it's like the idea that this pain is bad, this pain, it's not fair. It gets much less personal when we break it into the elements. Is it heavy or light? Is it smooth or rough? Is it hard or soft? Is it hot or cold? Is it still or moving? Is it cohesive or flowing? Oh yeah, just these impersonal elements. So that's kind of our homework these weeks is to, you know, we learn these formal contemplations that people have been doing for centuries. We really have to do them in a somewhat formal way initially until we kind of get the point to help the kind of the way the mind is programmed, to help deprogram. We talk about this at the level of view, like how my mind understands or views or perceives, right? We're deprogramming that so that the mind can understand in a less programmed way. We would say in early Buddhism, in a way that's in alignment with Dhamma, or dharma, the way it is. That's what that word dharma or dhamma means. It's the way it is. And uh, one of the things I wanted to mention tonight, you know, our consciousness is uh, really spellbound by what in buddhism we call nama which is name that's the pali word for name and and name in that really simple sense like how the mind always puts a name on experience it's this quote i've been using for years and years because bante gunaratana he's a an american uh but he's uh, originally from Sri lanka and he's been a buddhist monk now since he was a a boy, really, and he's in his 90s, or just turned 90, right around 90, and a really powerful teacher. He's come out to Minnesota a few times. And one of the seminal books in kind of our Western Buddhist, uh, early Buddhist scene is called Mindfulness in Plain English. It's really still a good book, even though it was probably written 25, 30 years ago. And uh, in that book, here's a paragraph. Vipassana meditation, so insight meditation, the kind of practice we do, is a set of training procedures which open us gradually to this new view of reality as it truly is. Along with this new reality goes a new view of that most central aspect of reality, me, (laughs) he has in quotes. A close inspection reveals that we have done the same thing to me we've done to all our other perceptions. We have taken a flowing vortex of thought, feeling and sensation and we have solidified that into a mental construct. Then we've stuck a label onto it, me, that's the naming, the Nama. We put a label on it and then our mind is spellbound, consciousness is spellbound by the name that the mind has put. When we perceive something, when we recognize something, that's part of the naming process. We name it. Then we've stuck a label onto it, me. And forever after, we treat it as if it were a static and endearing entity. Like I said, with pain. You know, if we have pain in the knee, we say, oh, my knee hurts. And then we no longer notice The hardness, the softness, the roughness, the smoothness, the heaviness, the lightness, the warmth, the coolness, the different elemental nature of that changing flow of sensation there that we label as my painful knee. We view it as a thing separate from all other things. We pinch ourselves off from the rest of that process of eternal change, which is the universe. And then we grieve over how lonely we feel. We ignore our inherent connectedness to all other beings and we decide that I have to get more for me. Then we marvel at how greedy and insensitive human beings are and on it goes. Every evil deed, every example of heartlessness in the world stems directly from this false sense of me as distinct from all else that is out there. So this elements meditation that we did at the end of the guided meditation tonight is a direct challenge to conceit, the conceit of me, of I, me, self, right, self-centeredness. Now, you have to check it out, right? And so much of that name me, that we get spellbound, consciousness gets spellbound by the concept of me, is related to the solidity of the body. So when we break down the body into these changing elements, the different specific characteristics of sensation, it really challenges how the mind is programmed to relate. Like we have this appearance of the body, which we then immediately label as me and then we stop looking. So we're challenging that habit of getting stuck with the label, my body, my pain, my pleasure, when we are feeling pleasure in the body. And he has another, just a few sentences here at the end that I'll end with. Vipassana meditation is inherently experiential. It's not theoretical. In the practice of meditation, you become sensitive to the actual experience of living to how things feel. You do not sit around developing subtle and aesthetic thoughts about living, you live. Vipassana meditation, more than anything else, is learning to live. And if you're unfamiliar with that word Vipassana, it just means insight. And so in the West, early Buddhism here in the West, we often call it insight meditation or Vipassana meditation. So people, for example, refer to Common Ground as an insight meditation center or Vipassana meditation center, and that's fine. More and more we use the terms early Buddhism and early Buddhist meditation center, but just to differentiate it from Zen meditation or Tibetan Buddhist meditation or some of the other lineages that arose uh, later in the sort of flow of Dharma uh, through the centuries and one of the things I put is that quote about the butcher, but then beneath that same document that I linked to in today's email is, a, I think, a very useful passage from one of the most well-known, most respected Burmese teachers, someone called Paak Sayada. Sayada just means a monastic teacher, so his name is Pa Paak, uh, A-U-K. And, uh, He teaches Four Elements Meditation with his students a lot. And uh, so it's just sort of his description. I studied with him and did a six-week retreat where I just did the the Four Elements Meditation for those six weeks. It was very powerful. Um, And you'll get a little sense of that if you just, I think it's maybe five pages. So you might want to review that. But we're going to do it in a more simple way, and that's the guided meditation from um, venerable analio this german monk that i mentioned and we have his elements meditation there same place where you found the anatomical parts meditation and the same place where you're going to find the meditation on the impermanence of the body which he does in a very simple way Uh, just working with the breath breathing in aware that this may be the last in breath breathing out Certainly one breath closer to the last breath. It's just keeping that contemplation in mind as you breathe in and out. One could be the last breath, who knows? Certainly one breath closer to the last breath. As you breathe in and out, feeling your whole body. But you'll get to that, we'll get to that next week. But feel free to go ahead if you're interested.